0: Hey there, I'm Evan DeWald, and I'm joined by Tara Lindsley, and this is Unpacked. We're unpacking life as messy people. So here, we do the things that we do the best. We tell stories, and we share life with each other. Sometimes life gets big and messy and full of failure and vulnerable moments, but we believe that sharing those things together helps us all to grow. So have a listen. Make sure to like and subscribe. This week on Unpacked, we are chatting with Charlotte Yellowhorn McLeod. And this is going to be good, isn't it, Tara?
1: It was awesome. Yeah.
0: Tell us what she does and who she is.
1: Yeah. So, Charlotte uh, is in a representative of the Trellis Foundation, and she is the Aboriginal Cultural Coordinator at Aspen Family and Community Network.
0: Wow. That's a big title. <laughs> That's a huge
1: title. <laughs> it comes with an awesome lady, though. It does. Yeah. You know
0: what? Honestly, I'm really excited to release today's podcast because the first time I met this lady, it was compelling. Like, I wanted to know more about her. I wanted to know more about her story, about what has made her who she is. And this is a this is lady who spent her whole life really working towards reconciliation, towards helping her people to work through a whole host of challenges and different things that, that they were working through. Mm-hmm. So she, all of those years have compiled into some pretty incredible wisdom.
1: Yeah, she's super wise. We just ask her about her life and her story, and we talk about what it's been like as an indigenous woman specifically. Mm -hmm. And we ask her to share some of the things about our culture, the pain that's been inflicted and where she sees hope and how we can get involved. So in light of September 30th, we want to release stories and elevate stories that create awareness for this community, because that's Mm -hmm. what they are really asking us for.
0: Yeah. Like one thing that just comes to mind first and foremost in our conversation was how much She created space for us. Mm -hmm. Our goal was to create space for her, and yet she was so kind and...
1: Generous to us. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, which is a testament to her, but also her people. We hope you enjoy. So, Charlotte, can you tell us how do you greet somebody?
2: Oki napi, and oki, and and when you to ask me a question, it's not just a really short answer. Oki is the way you say water in Blackfoot is oki, and so oki is when a woman is pregnant, and then she just before she delivers, she releases water, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so oki means I greet you. From the moment you had, and so, the th- from the moment you had life, it's such a small word, okay? I, but when I greet you, if you go to um the elderly, older people, they'll say, "Okay," and they say it with such reverence because they're greeting you from the moment you had life, and and the first water. What it mm-hmm, in first, English is yeah. from the first water mm-hmm. that came into the world, you were there. And I greet you with that. And so NAPI is relative. We believe we're all relatives, even the two-legged, the four-legged, the mother earth, the rocks, the Mm -hmm. trees. So NAPI means all life, all my relations. And so, so sometimes when indigenous people, when they've said something really from the heart, at the end of it, they'll say, all my relations wow. so they put it there
0: so greetings from the beginning yeah family hmm.
2: right yeah from the moment you you came into this world great. that's okay. great when you said a podcast i was thinking okay do i need to do it it is not <laughs> my strength <laughs> and so i don't know if i can do this
0: and this would be our hope and just so that you, this is it's like this, we gave you some questions just to, yes. just to help so that you could feel like you knew what we were, were mostly after. Right. But let's just talk. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you know what? I think people think that we're against Catholics or the Catholic <laughs> yeah. Church or whatever. And, but you know what? It's not just the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. It's, there was a lot of churches. Mm-hmm. And the government knew about it. Mm-hmm. The armed forces knew about it. Our CMP knew. You can suppress this type of information without it being right. up. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, when they announced the 215 kids, it was on a Thursday night and my daughter and I, she came to me and she said, Mom, can we talk? She's a, She's an adult. And I said, yeah. And then she started crying and she said, how could they do that to children? And we both cried together. Because you think of the children in your life, and mm-hmm. it becomes so close. And then we had a conversation about my mom being five re- years old when she went into residential school. And my dad, because he was the chief's son, he was nine years old. And my mom mm-hmm. says after four days, she wanted to go back home. And so the, the trauma and all of that, you can't even really address that, what they went through. All I can say is with my mom, the only story I remember her telling me, she said at night, she hated nighttime because she would hear crying and crying. Mm-hmm. And then she said, and then one night I realized it was me crying. Oh. So in the trauma, she had disassociated oh. so she could handle mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And she missed out on nurturing and parenting and loves and hugs and all those things Mm -hmm. that we do with Mm -hmm. our children and so growing up I never heard her say I love you in my whole life she would say I care about you and I do all these things for you kids because I care but she could never hug us she could never kiss us Mm -hmm. I used to be really angry about that until I realized as an adult she never had that. Yeah.
0: She didn't even know how to.
2: Yeah. And so growing up, I saw her, I, I hate to say this, we called her the general. There was 11 of us kids, and <laughs> I'm the sixth child, and we called her the general behind her back. <laughs> Sorry <Mom. laughs> And it And well, it was like military. And then I was talking to my cousin M- Merle, and he said, you know what, with all of you kids, could you imagine if she
0: wasn't strict how unruly
2: you guys would have been? Yeah.
0: I was going to say, when you said 11, I was like, if she wasn't in charge, you would have taken over.
2: Yes, (laughs) Yes, exactly. And you know what? Like, we all had jobs. And my job was to do dishes, as well as my other sister, was to do dishes and peel potatoes. So Mm. I peeled potatoes really quickly, and I do that really well. But you know what? So we had specialties in our family growing up, and it was because of that. And I feel so bad now for judging my mom harshly because mm-hmm. I didn't know. Isn't it
0: a funny thing too? Like I think about this now, I'm like 47. I have four kids yeah. and it's a fact, right? That my kids don't know everything that's going on inside of my head and my heart. That what does it look like? Mm-hmm. As I even when I think about your mom and you go, okay, so 11 kids, like that is a lot of kids. If she grew up in a residential school, Mm-hmm. And even the way that we've you know, been hearing some of these stories of what that was like, is it possible she was running your home just like she thought it was supposed to be yes. run and what she mm-hmm. learned growing up yeah. as a kid herself?
2: And I, I hear that she had a nervous breakdown after my younger sister. All I knew is that all of a sudden I got up one morning and we had to go v- stay with my aunts. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that aunt and then we stayed there for i think it was i i don't know but i it seemed like a long time mm-hmm. and and then we came home and nobody really said anything about it and so that was hard realizing of course it was hard for her she wasn't a superwoman mm-hmm. and i think oh my gosh it was a miracle with what she was able to do. And so, of course, she'd have a breakdown. And my dad actually wasn't wasn't home very often mm-hmm. because he would go sneak off the reserve at night because he had to have a travel permit to get off the reserve. Mm-hmm. And he'd come to Calgary or Edmonton or Lethbridge where he wouldn't be recognized to work mm-hmm. and make some money and then come home. So when he came home, It was like a holiday and he brings us treats like we'd have hot dogs because most of the Mm. time we grew up with wild meat and rabbits and what do you feed a family and so a treat was bologna and hot dogs and so we would have that and so we associated my dad with being fun Mm. and now looking back i think What an amazing lady she was. Mm -hmm. To raise 11 kids on her own. My older brothers and sisters would go to residential school. So we would see them in in the summer, but they'd be gone from September to June. And uh, we could see the residential school. It was two miles away. We could see this big building, but they weren't allowed to come home. And so my oldest brother, Kenneth, mom would tell me, put a red towel on the clothesline. And then we knew that somehow during that day, my oldest brother would sneak home and find out what was mm-hmm. going on. In a way, because he was, he could speak English better mm-hmm. and he organized our family. I think he was more like a brother to my mom and dad because, he, because of what he knew. And so a lot of responsibility on him. Mm-hmm. He passed away when he was 26 because oh. he, was, he was in a car accident. They'd been drinking, and it was icy road in February, and he died and put a big hole in the family. So, and I got a
0: question for you. Where
2: did you grow up? In Which? Brockett, um, the Begunny Nation. Brockett is a hamlet. It's okay. between Pincher Finch, Creek and Fort McLeod.
0: Oh. So, do you know the name of the residential school then? St.
2: Cyprian's. Ciprian's. Anglican resident. Oh, okay. yeah. hmm.
0: And have, do you know of... Is there is there any work being done there right now?
2: There is a community meeting, and they're gonna plan um, how to do it. They want to do okay. it properly, and yeah, and so there is gonna be work. Yes, they just want to do it properly and mm-hmm. respect for the remains and mm-hmm. how they're and w- the plan is if they find remains, how are they gonna rebury them, and mm-hmm. whether there's gonna be ceremony and all of that.
0: Yeah. Is there, this is like really jumping into it because it just, oh, no. but you have a person who cares for people who are mourning the loss of family and those things occasionally. That's the role of a right. pastor sometimes. Yeah. Do you have real concern about your community and your family? I was
2: a probation officer for 20 years. Yes. And then Ooh, okay. I, I went to Sheriff King, worked there for seven years, and I've been at Aspen for 14 and a half years. In between all of that, I've done private contracts for three years. But anyway, there is real concern. I was, as a probation officer, dealing with a lot of hard stuff. Mm -hmm. It was like opening areas that I realized of trauma that I never really dealt with. So went and paid for counseling. Now you can get it free, but at Mm -hmm. that time, paid for counseling and I can do my work. But you know what? These 250, I found it was like opening trauma again. Mm-hmm. I thought I had dealt with that. Yeah. And but then it's trauma again and our community, I think it's happened to a lot of people. So yes, I think there's going to be there's needs to be support. Yeah, this you is going to be hard. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I've done a lot of training and, and the average question, like from the police and other areas, when are you guys going to get over it? Just get over mm. it. And then I ask, why do we have Remembrance Day? Mm. Why do we honor those people that have died? Mm. It's because mm. they were people that died for this country. But I would say on the altar of making this country, our people died for that. Mm. And so as indigenous people, we paid the highest price. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then we're told to be quiet and, and then yes. watch as the show. Yes. Essentially, this is going to sound so, so harsh, but watch as the show just erases that part of the story. Yes. In 2021, people are shocked that there was 215 kids found. Yeah.
2: And then now it's up to 5,000.
0: Five, five, 5, yeah. And I, that is one of the questions that we wanted to ask today. We established that you were going to talk on your behalf. You. Yes. On Charlotte's behalf as we started. But it's like, what has it been like to watch as people are so surprised? I was, I'll confess my ignorance. I was surprised. Me too. And was
2: purposeful. It was a conspiracy by the government, by the people highest in this country Mm -hmm. to suppress that information. And so the message was always, oh, don't worry about those native people, we're taking care of them. And so the average Canadian thinks, okay, in my busy life, I don't need to worry about that. Because our government, our churches are taking care Mm -hmm. of it. The police, armed forces are taking care of that. So we don't have to worry. And so there's that guilt. How come I didn't know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you come from an indigenous perspective, I was talking to my cousin Milton a few years ago, and he said, I was angry for so many years because he went into residential school. I was so angry that the surrounding communities, Fort McLeod, Pincher Creek, Cardston, Lethbridge, that these horrendous things were happening to our people mm-hmm. but nobody came to help mm-hmm. like how come nobody was there to save us and then you, you go through the process and you realize they didn't know yeah
0: they really didn't know and
2: then as a native people yeah there was people dying and people being tortured and sexually assaulted and even murdered mm-hmm. and you guys didn't know mm-hmm. like if this happened to you guys it would be all over the news For sure it would right
0: be. i think that's a big part of the woundedness so to me I just think even we see social issues or racism issues or Mm -hmm. whatever there is a part of me that kind of goes well if we had known would we have done something and I I think even too I think it's all part of that growing the growing story of racism in our country Mm -hmm. like we have adopted kids our adopted kids are black they're from Africa, yeah, <laughs> and and it's funny because I remember 16 years ago, going down to the states and interacting with some of my colleagues down there, and they were like, "Oh man, what's that going to be like? You're adopting a black child." And I remember saying, "You know what? Canada doesn't have this kind of racism that you have down here in the United States, towards black people, as much as we do towards our First Nations people." Mm-hmm. I'm a Saskatchewan boy. I re- I actually grew up like four miles about the same distance probably you were from the residential school i was from one of the reserves and i grew up on the farm that my mom grew up on so she, you know it was a homestead mm. farm she'd been in yeah. a long time and for whatever maybe it may be a gift i think it was a gift but my mom is a social justice person and she grew up going with, going to school right next to the like her schoolhouse was closer to the reserve than it was to the town that we were a part of. It such, like, I actually got to go to, when I was a little kid, I got to go to a powwow on the reserve. That's
2: yeah. amazing, that's great.
0: And I, I wish I had paid attention. I actually just remember running around and playing there, like with them. I don't remember any of what was happening. And it, it was that's one of those- normal. Yeah, like yeah, I was yeah, just a kid, we okay, yeah. were just yeah. running around having fun <laughs> with the other kids, but oh, I wish I had paid more attention. <laughs> but my parents were there. And they were paying attention. So for me personally, I do remember people talking about my friends poorly. I remember that. I think even as a kid, I didn't know what to do with that.
2: You're right. In Canada, when you look at the pecking order, Mm -hmm. Indigenous people are at the bottom. They're at the bottom. For sure. I went to Mm -hmm. American university, went Mm -hmm. to Brigham Young. I, I dated a, a black guy from Louisiana and didn't understand him real well because of his accent. Because he'd say, sure look muddy out there. And i tell him, what? And he says, sure look muddy out there. And I said, I, don't, I heard those are English words, but I don't know what you're saying. He says, it's going to rain. And I said, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> but down there, oh my gosh, the blacks are treated so
0: Awful. Yeah. So poorly. Mm-hmm. So
2: yeah. awful. Mm-hmm. And it's seems to be, it depends on the state. It seems to be socially acceptable to treat them badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then being native or first nations, I go down there, I loved it down there because they treated me really good because I was native because we're a novelty. The mm-hmm. other thing we're Canadians. Mm-hmm. And so I was treated really good. And mm-hmm. so I came home at Christmas time after the first semester and thinking. We go to co-op and my mom's Christmas shopping and cashier line. And this white lady, she comes along, she has a handful of stuff. Oh, how are you? She comes right past my mom and say, how are your kids going? And just taking all our groceries. And and I'm standing there and I am go to, excuse me. And my mom just elbowed me in the side and she told me black, in Blackfoot, don't you say a word because you're going to leave and it made mm. me so sad that and if it was anybody else i think they could have made us stink about it and had mm-hmm. somebody listen but because it's just the way it is mm-hmm.
0: yeah you know, i think racism is one of those things i do think yes, it's like it you get beat mm-hmm. down long enough that eventually you just go this is the devil i know i'm mm-hmm. just gonna live in this system
2: and I understand that sentiment but that's when real change happens yeah right mm-hmm. but anyway my son if he was to walk in here he looks like a white guy mm-hmm. with green eyes, but he's in his heart, he's native. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving home, we stopped at 7-Eleven. And so he gets off and I got out, it took me longer to get off. And then I go in the store and I get him a drink and I get me a drink. And of course, he's always hungry. I call him <laughs> gobble guts. And so anyway, he go and got some food and I was standing there in line. And the young people behind, they're in their 20s or whatever, they were putting people through the cashier even before me. I didn't really notice because I was just enjoying We didn't have um, air conditioning in the car. Oh. So <laughs> I was just enjoying so it. Standard. Yeah. And, and then my son, his deep voice said, hey, you guys pay attention to this lady. She's been standing there and she needs to get service. And I'm thinking... David don't say anything cuz we're going to get kicked out of the store and I want my mm-hmm. iced tea. And they said, "Oh, okay." And so they went there and I we walked out and he was after me and he came out got in the car and I said went to say, "David, why did you say that?" And he said, "Mom, I'm sick and tired of people treating you like that. Why do you accept it?" And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, "Do I accept that?" And I didn't really even notice. And yeah, and so to a certain extent, I guess I'm my mom. It depends on the day. Yeah, yeah.
0: I I think that's this... I, I feel that way too, that it's like it depends. Some days I'm ready to fight yeah. for what I know is the right thing. And then other days, I'm just exhausted. I would say though too, personally, is that the, the pandemic, at least at the beginning, slowed me down just long enough for me to actually think about what are the things that I was just too tired, too busy, too whatever mm-hmm. to even want to learn about or argue about or change. Yeah. Now I actually, I think I need to say something about this or that or whatever. And you know
2: what? But that's where real change happens. Hmm. I do training for my agency and they say, Charlotte, what am I going to do with my relatives? My family is racist. Like we could be barbecuing and they'll say something about such and such. What do I do? And I said, you know what? I understand that. You can't be battling every single thing. But you know what that's where real change happens mm-hmm. pick your battles mm-hmm. decide when you're gonna stand up okay
0: well, that's a good that's yes. a good segue into a question for you then what's been the driving force for you in your lifetime let's broaden the question as you will give you a free-for-all to kind of so you study to be a social worker
2: why social work working with people mm-hmm. and not only working with people but working with younger young people mm-hmm. and children, because that's where I think real change is going to happen. And children or youth, they don't think about, to to a certain extent, it depends on how life has beaten them down, but to a certain extent, they don't think about the boundaries. They don't think about, oh, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Or you shouldn't
1: do that. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think, why not?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I'm going to do it and see what happens. Us being older, like I've seen it where we're older. We're tired. We fought battles. I came out of social work thinking, I'm going to change the world. (laughs) Watch out world. I'm going to do it. And then you get beaten out, beaten down with policies and rules. And you can't, you see something wrong. You can't just change it overnight. Mm -hmm. My retirement age is coming. I'm going to make an imprint on what's happening. And where am I gonna do that? Giving our youth and our children information. Mm -hmm. Because what I find is it's the youth and the children that will come to me and say, Charlotte, can I ask you a question? How come they did that to you people? Mm -hmm. And I say, maybe they didn't know any better, but you know what, you can change it. Mm -hmm. So empowering the youth, Mm -hmm. I think that's where the secret is. But you know what, I'll tell you a native person We've had the system against us all the time Mm -hmm. and the adversity against us all the time. And they they know how to walk this earth. Mm. They're the strong ones. I really believe they're one of the strongest people because there's the systemic colonialism is that native people are ill, that they're wrong, that they're injured, that you just have to take care of them. In my point of view, Look at what they've survived. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody can make a change, it's those native people. They live with it all the time. The system is against them all the time, but yet they navigate it. Mm -hmm. And some people, the ones that are really struggling, just give them some tools. And once they make those changes and choices, you've got people that have power, Mm -hmm. personal power. And I'm not talking about money power or status power, but personal power.
0: They have the power to change actually yes. once they learn some of those things. Yes,
2: but right. some of them there's this colonialist system, where there's walls, mm-hmm. and they can't see, and it's hopeless. And as a faith person, it's giving them hope. Mm-hmm. That's what we do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's interesting because I was talking to a Muslim friend of mine, and we always have really good chats. I'm a Christian, and he's a Muslim, and one of the things we've we made a connection on years ago was actually that we're, we're probably a whole lot closer in our belief system than the world has led us to believe. Yes. When you end up coming at the, the, the stories of colonialism, and we were talking about this just recently, was like, once you decide that you're right, whatever your belief system is, it doesn't matter which one, but once you decide that you are right in the church language, that you have the truth, Then, uh, sadly, imposing that truth on other people seems to be the right thing to do. That's what you're supposed to do, even in the last several months. And as I try to figure out words to talk to my own congregation about it, is to say, what do we do with... So whether you think you're so right or you're so wrong, I'm not so sure. Honestly, I think that if I was raised in a Muslim home, probably be a Muslim. Like, yeah. so much of what I was handed in terms of my faith was a, was a tradition that obviously turned in, I hope turned into something deeper than just a tradition. But, to impose that, because I was so sure you know, we white Christian people were so sure. This is what's so challenging is, in the colonizer's attempt to be so right, They went completely against everything that our faith stands for. So So one of the stories that Ruth told at the memorial service was when she's talking about seeing a, a nun push her brother down the stairs. And I just, I'm listening to that and I go, when does your obsession with pushing your agenda or your truth on a people group become more important, so important, actually, that you could, in in some kind of good conscience, push a child down the stairs. Oh, yeah. Almost all good spirits, whether it's a Christian experience or a Muslim experience or an indigenous person's experience, we believe that the great spirit is good. Mm -hmm. It's calling us to be good.
2: Yeah, you're
0: right. So in what world does doing violence produce goodness yeah but yet we have this example after example of how in the world and canada as well and that's what we're really talking about here committed some really just horrible atrocities and i I tell you what canada today was different for me this year Mm -hmm. like how do you talk to a canadian about can you tell a canadian that they can be a proud canadian
2: so the question do you is: do that? Yeah. Would you celebrate Canada? What do you see yourself as Canadian? Yeah. Yeah. And I had so many questions about that before Canada Day.
1: I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and
2: sure then, you did. Yeah. Any staff coming up and saying, "Charlotte, are you going to celebrate Canada Day, or what do you think about me celebrating Canada Day?" <laughs> and you know what? A lot of the Native people don't identify themselves with it as being Canadian the reason is is because what the meaning of canada has done to them right mm-hmm. and to their families but the, you separate that from the land you ask native people or indigenous people about the land they love this land they my mm-hmm. my grandfather would get up in the morning and pray for the land that it contend the mother earth would continue to sustain us all of us not just indigenous people but all of us so as indigenous people, we love this land because of what it has provided for us. The problem is we don't give back when we take like it's it's the circle of life. Whatever you take, you need to find a way to give back. If you wanna celebrate Canada, because a lot of people have come to this country because of political unrest and sometimes people were fleeing for their lives. This is the promised land. And so, in my point of view, if you celebrate Canada Day That's the least you could do. But let's get up every morning and be grateful for where we are.
0: And the land that provides. Yes, be
2: grateful for the land. And from my Christian's religious belief, we believe everything (laughs) has a spirit. The (laughs) land, the water, even rocks have a spirit. And when we connect with that, we have a different perspective. So celebrate Canada Day. I hope you do. But you know what? I'm not going to it because I believe that my connection to the land has always been there.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like you celebrate your anniversary. If you're married, you celebrate your anniversary. But you were actually married the other 364 mm-hmm. days too. Like the life that you live together. You get you it. That's married, exactly right? like, it. Yeah. So, so every day, be grateful to the land yeah. and the gift that it provides and, yeah. and the life that it provides. You said an interesting thing. And actually, I, I think it was you or it was you or Ruth that said it at the, at the memorial service, and that you were talking about how the spirit, the great spirit is present in the wind. Mm-hmm. Can you describe that again to us? Breath. breath,
2: or the breath of Mother Earth. And it's, we all breathe it in, everything mm-hmm. has a spirit. But mm-hmm. to me, it's the breath of life. We all breathe it, we couldn't live without mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so we need to honor that too. Because it gives us life too, and it just is water, the water when you break it down, H2O or whatever, that water is sacred, and it's a spirit and it has a memory, and so your relationship with water is how we honor our life, because none of us could live without water or air or soil and the and fire and and you know it's the one of the things that you mentioned is. The language like you said the Holy Ghost mm-hmm. we call it the Great Spirit mm-hmm. and it's we're talking about the same, same thing yes. that is what
0: I heard that day I was like that's language I use yes. on a regular yeah. basis yes. and even like for us and I've, I've explained this at Lake Ridge several times that it's when we when we open the Bible and we look at the Genesis story mm-hmm. and the creation story ultimately right. and in particular the story around the creation of mankind and as the story kind of goes, it basically says oh, God formed out of the earth mm-hmm. the shape of mankind. Right. And what's really interesting about that is that in that it says, and then he breathed into it the breath of life. And in the Hebrew, like the actual original text of that, it's, the word is raka, and it, and it actually means spirit. And so God made you in his image, in his likeness. He gave you actually all of his characteristics and then held nothing back but breathed into you his spirit. And and so any original reader of the Bible, we've eliminated most of this mystical kind of language. Mm-hmm. But anytime a person would have read in the Bible, the wind blew or he breathed on them, a reader would have heard spirit. We have this so in common,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? That, that I guess for me, there's a part of me that just wishes that early settlers and people who came here had been able to see the gift mm-hmm. of the people who were already here. Even now. Even now, so that they wouldn't, we didn't need to have this story.
2: Originally they did. Mm-hmm. They re- they, the settlers knew they couldn't survive here without the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And so they made alliances but it's when government decided they wanted to clear the plains and money came involved and all of this to get rid of the indigenous people because they were in the way of progress. They mm-hmm. then it changed and then genocidal stuff started happening. But originally, because like my dad said, his grandfather would give, be given money and $5 was a lot of money. He could buy a house for two $2 and mm. he said, he would have, he, he was the chief, and he would be given money, and he'd go to town, and he'd show the storekeeper his money. And with all the goods that he had, and they'd tally it up and give money back. And so there was an the honor, and there was a cipra- reciprocal, yeah, mm-hmm. until... Greed and all of that Mm -hmm. came, and so originally it was like that, and then it changed, and then the genocidal. Well, we got to take their kids, because when we take their kids and we Mm -hmm. brainwash them, we can have more control, and we can change them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Here's like a few questions. In the last several months, even there's some undeniable truths that have been revealed to our country. What do you think is the most important thing for Canadians and for listeners, and our listeners are mostly local, so our people here, what do you hope they will be hearing in this? And And, and
2: to answer that question, I'm going to tell you this. When people say, had I been there, I would have never allowed that to happen. But you know what? We're here. Mm -hmm. And so we're getting this information. Native people have been talking about it all along. But nobody was listening. We Never. knew it. The RCMP knew it to a certain extent. The church um, faith leaders knew it to a certain extent. But most definitely the political leaders knew. They knew. And then possibly individuals knew. So we knew along the way. So I would say we need to listen to native people. But have empathy with and listen Mm -hmm. because if you just listen to the stories yeah okay that's interesting we need to be mobilized into that's not going to happen on my watch Mm -hmm. in my circle of influence so you need to choose to be that and it goes both ways we need to be allies for each other give each other space so that we can do that reconciliation Indigenous people have been doing it all along. Yeah, We've had to. We couldn't yeah. survive unless we did it. Yeah. And so reconciliation is for the settlers. I'm not saying we're not going to continue to reconcile, but that settlers, that is your accountability. And not only truth, Listen to those truths, no matter how hard and how dirty and how bad it mm-hmm. is. Let's listen to the truth. We can't even scratch the surface of justice
0: until we do truth.
2: Until we do truth. And justice is holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. Our faith leaders, or government leaders, our CMP, political leaders, go and ask our MLA what are you doing? Now that this is in the light of day, what are you doing for Indigenous people? Mm -hmm. Because you know what? In all our history, Native people have never been at the table. Mm -hmm. All the decisions have been made all the time on their behalf, but they've never been at the table to make the decisions. So not only inviting them to the table, but actually listening to them and make all of
1: us making the decisions for a better world
0: not to finish a sentence but actually believing that they have something to offer
1: yes yeah it's true also you were saying like all the stories you've talked about basically of the ways that you've experienced racism it's almost like an invisibility Mm -hmm. and we're missing the acknowledgement of it so when you're saying people are not at the table it continues this threat of your people are invisible Yes. And we would like to continue that as it's comfortable and we're tired and whatever. We can make a thousand excuses for it, but it's super important. And so how important is acknowledging that for, we're both white. So like, we need to acknowledge that we were contributing to this invisibility of Mm -hmm. the indigenous people in our country and the issues.
2: The way I can express it is telling you a story. My daughter was six, went home and picked her up and had to go to Walmart one thing about walmart great snacks potato (laughs) chips and and stuff like that and you get it at a really good price so went there and it was gonna get potato chips and pop mainly and a few other things we were at the checkout line and this young lady she was about i'd say in her 20s it came to me And then she sees the potato chips and I don't know whether she was having a bad day, but she just stuffed them into the bag and throws it into the cart and then the pop and just stuffs it into bag, throws it on my potato chips. And I said, excuse me. And she says, what? I said, you know what? I work hard for my money and I want to be able to get home and open a bag of potato chips Mm -hmm. and not just, and she said,
0: not eat them with a spoon.
2: Yes. (laughs) And then she said, is there a problem? And I said, yeah, there's a problem. And then she said, I didn't do that. And I said, yeah, you did. This white man behind me, he said, excuse me, you did that to this lady stuff. Hmm. And then she says, do you want the manager? And I said, yes, I would like to talk to the manager. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I just want to go home. Yeah, I'm tired, but let's do this. So the manager came, I swear this young man was like 26 he was a yeah, yeah. white guy and he said Mrs. can I help you and I said well, she threw the pop on my potato chips what can I do to help you I said I would just like my potato chips that I paid for and would just replace them and it's good mm-hmm. I'm on my way and so he went and he did that walked out of Walmart and then I hear excuse me and I'm thinking oh jeez what now and yeah. here this white man that was behind me he said Uh, Can I tell you something? And I said, sure. He said, when you said, excuse me, your daughter turned around and she said, yes. I didn't even notice that. And so he was my ally. He made space for me and it took maybe 10 minutes. He waited and as we walked out and wanted me to know, we are modeling our behavior for the next generation. Mm -hmm. So that's where real change happens is when we stand up for each other.
0: Mm-hmm. We
2: become allies to each other.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. What has it been like to see, hear these children start getting discovered. And you've known all along. And everybody's acting like it is a brand new thing. Myself included. How do you respond with any level of compassion for just a generation of ignorance that has been going on?
2: That doesn't come from having an easy life Mm. or a good life it comes from suffering and we were those kids that everybody picked on made Mm -hmm. fun of and having compassion you got to have compassion and so believing in the god that we're in this life together when someone is suffering because i was there so that comes from suffering a lifetime of being the outsider when it was nothing that we did personally it was who we were or Mm. what other people thought we were so it comes from suffering and we don't want any other child to ever have Mm -hmm. that happen to them for sure that's where it comes from and so our spiritual experience being surpassed to the spiritual realm when you don't want anybody else to.
0: That's holiness. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes, it is. And we've gotten grace from our Creator because if we didn't have that, there would have been no hope. And the miracles that we've had in our lives as when we put our trust in the Creator and knowing that miracles happened in our life as a result. Hmm. That's where it comes from. I think if we have gratitude, then somehow, we surpass the difficulty, yeah, yeah.
0: it's interesting. Uh, a couple of things just came to mind while you were talking. We meet, We've done a few podcasts with, with a local psychologist here. Her name is Maureen, uh-huh. and she's awesome and and we've talked about lots of different things. She's a trauma specialist, so we've talked about trauma and, and addiction and a few other things as well relationship, marital uh-huh. relationship stuff. and it's interesting because every conversation we have with her. And we talk about how do you heal from whatever it is, the topic we were talking about. She ends up coming back to community. She ends up coming back to connection Mm -hmm. with each other. If you're a faith-based person with the spirit world, and Mm -hmm. she does, she's like, talks about it. It comes back to community. And I think that's one of the things that I see in our indigenous people is that more about community and connection and relationship than uh, the white culture does honestly. Mm -hmm. So this was one of the questions that we wanted to ask you. When you look at the state of our white culture in Canada, what advice do you think the indigenous culture could give us? What could we learn?
2: All I can do is give you an example. My dad, when I had gone to university i didn't get a job i couldn't get a job and work right away, so I applied for national parks and I worked at Banff Banff, a national park and anyway loved that job didn't pay well, but I loved the job <laughs> and after that i went to i applied for a job as a probation officer in lethbridge and then there was five people that interviewed me. And I went from Lath... By the time I... My my dad owned the gas station in Brockett at that Mm. time. By the time I got from Lethbridge, it took me an hour to get to Brockett. I walked in and my mom said, good for you. And I said, what? (laughs) And then she said, you're going to get that job. I said, mom, I just left the interview. Like, how do you know that? And then she said, actually... Alan Pard, he's he was on the interview board and he came in and he said you were gonna get the job. I did get the job. The but community the, at work, right? right yes. <laughs> And so the Sunday night before I started that job, my dad sat me down and he said, I want you to remember who you are. You are, and remember you're a Blackfoot woman, a young woman, and you are a member of this family. You need to conduct yourself in the world so that you could bring honor to yourself and to our people. And he said, this job as a probation officer, you're going to be the boss. But I want you to remember, your boss is not the person that gives you your paycheck. Your boss is the person who comes in that door and that Mm -hmm. needs your services. That's why you're there. And don't ever forget that. And so he always said you're no better than the secretary or the custodian or anybody else. So when you go to school, you go to university or your work, just remember you're not above them. Mm -hmm. And so that's in our teachings. We live in this world to service others. Like the water doesn't drink itself. Mm -hmm. Flowers don't consume themselves. Trees don't live for themselves. They give out (coughs) oxygen, Mm -hmm. air for all of us to breathe. In the whole world of nature, nothing ever lives for ourselves. As humans, we're a little bit confused. We we sure give it a good hearty (laughs) try. Yes, we think everything in this world is for consumption. For instance, a hundred years ago, if native people killed a moose, they didn't drag that moose home and pull it into the teepee teepee, and nobody else ate. But in the capitalism, you would drag that moose in And if anybody else was hungry, then you would barter and trade. They would have to give you a service in order for them to have supper that night. Mm. But with Native people, what you do is you bring that, you cut it up, you go and feed the orphans first, the older people, and people that are hungry, and then you keep a portion to yourself. So everybody feasts and everybody mm-hmm. eats that night. Maybe uh, the next teepee, they pick berries. So they bring out the berries. Maybe somebody else brought chop wood. They would bring that. And I said, so the community shares and you celebrate because there was a kill. And in capitalism, you need a victim. You need somebody mm. to oppress in order for it to work wow and that's the difference i'm not saying that a lot of our people don't do that now you have to buy into that system Mm -hmm. to a certain extent in order to make a living Mm -hmm. yeah
0: it's an interesting thing because oftentimes you mentioned haiti that you have some haitian friends and we've got a few haitian friends that have come here and traveled around and told stories from haiti and some of the stuff and how we support them and it's always fascinating to have somebody come fascinating and alarming and a bit embarrassing and all of those things when they you know this guy's his name is Mono he's he's a doctor there he's a Haitian doctor when he comes here and he's like when he points out the things that we have become so used to I remember I took him to one of the schools in Strathmore years and years ago and I asked him in front of a group of students I said when you go back to Haiti in two weeks what are you going to tell them And he's a storyteller, a funny guy. He's got a good sense of humor. But he said, I'm going to tell them that people in Canada are so rich that they build houses for their cars. And then they have so much stuff in there that they can't park in there. (laughs) And I I remember he just says this in front of this whole group of students. And I was like, oh, man, that's what you're going to go home and tell people. And I can't deny that it's not true. Yeah, it's true what I'm getting at and why I ask that question just so you hear a little bit it's like we do this and we hear loud and clear when a Haitian person comes here and sees and looks at our culture and what we become but we would ignore the voice of the indigenous culture in our own midst Mm -hmm. and what you could offer and show us about community if I heard anything what you talked about today was so much around the generous spirit of your people. The gift of even all this time you gave us this afternoon to tell stories and give us your perspective. It's a moving thing and I hope that people see it. I hope that our listeners hear it, I really do. I think you have a secret of how to make change happen. And it's just so gentle, it's shocking. (laughs) Like, I've said that already in this conversation, but I keep coming back to it because in my faith tradition, the only thing I can call it is holy. It's the only word I can use to describe what I see.
2: It comes from God or Heavenly Father, and that gives us the grace. Yeah, to be mm-hmm. who we are and I grew up like that mm-hmm. like if when we went berry picking the very first portion of our berries I was five years old my mom said go and give the uh, to great aunt Missy our neighbor because mm-hmm. the very first thing that you get and you value you give it away yeah and so the, those are teachings that you grew up with and yeah. I think yeah. in our day our youth indigenous youth have missed out on those teachings and we need to Bring that
0: back, I think. One of the last questions is, any hope? Do you have hope for reconciliation in our country?
2: You know, it depends on who you talk to. You Mm -hmm. talk to Native Mm -hmm. people or, oh, the things will never change. Look, we've known this. We tried Mm -hmm. to tell them, nobody listened. It's never going to change. And then you talk to some people and they say, you know what? We can do it. Look at what has happened in the last 10 years the last Mm -hmm. 20 years and I was one of those youth that had my first job as a probation officer and in the structure in our justice system and I find change happening sooner and where that change is coming from is individuals saying I don't like this and I'm going to change it and changing it at a micro level. Mm -hmm. So that you teach your kids and you teach them the very first banana bread that comes out of the oven. You go give it to your neighbors. My son, when he was eight years old, tell him, go give those to our neighbor. Why are we giving them anything? (laughs) I said, it's not about that. Mm -hmm. It's about what we give. And so I think sharing and having a community. We are all in this community. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter who it is. They des- they're deserving of humanity. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. As
0: a church, what are some ways that we can learn more? I'll you
2: know what? Get the Indigenous perspective on the landscape. And mm-hmm. whatever it is, a quote from John Trudell. Mm-hmm. He has many quotes. Mm-hmm. And philosophies like that, put it on the landscape. Or get visible Indigenous people. Maybe get a picture in your church Mm -hmm. that's not everything but it's something it's something Mm -hmm, so that you're acknowledging who who it is who Mm -hmm. we are on this land land acknowledgement is a big thing you live on Blackfoot territory Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the ancestral land of the Blackfoot Confederacy yeah and say we're neighbors to Sitsaga include them sometimes in possibly invite them Mm -hmm. they may not come because some of them have been so used to Mm -hmm being Mm -hmm. abused or whatever or used for um others benefit of others there's mistrust there but invite them include them be inclusive at the united nations there's a seat missing for indigenous people in the world Mm -hmm. in the macro level Yeah. yeah and so what you can do at the micro level include them give them voice
0: yes Mm -hmm.
2: exactly that's really good
0: oh we are so grateful for your time today thank you you so much for coming yeah
2: and i appreciate the give and take because um, like you told me stories and you we mm-hmm. had this conversation because a lot of time when it comes to the relationship between settler and indigenous people has always been extra. Mm-hmm. And to a certain yeah. extent it was that today, but it was a give and take. And I really appreciate that mm-hmm. because it gives me something to, to be able to do that. And I think going forward, let's be partners. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: because, yeah. mm-hmm. and we need each other. For sure. Mm-hmm.
0: I would definitely agree with that. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think the more inclusive we become, we're modeling the behavior for the younger Mm -hmm. ones. Mm -hmm. I want a better world for everybody, Mm -hmm. not just Indigenous people, of course, for everybody, because I know what it feels like when it's not.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Amazing. thank you so much for joining. I feel like I have learned so much and you are a storyteller.
2: Thank you for the, this opportunity. And it, in my busy day, this was really nice. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, good. Come I and talk about life and philosophy. Good, good.
1: Hey, thanks for joining us. We'd love if you take a moment to rate, subscribe and review the show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, thanks for listening. Thank you.